1: Hello and welcome to John Richardson and the Future Notes Series 5, Episode 4. I'm John Richardson and I'm joined as ever by Mark Stevenson. Hello. And Ed Gillespie. Hello. And if you want a little teaser, stay tuned because we've just recorded a new uh, sting for our email and Twitter handles, um, which you can hear later on. So if you've stuck with us since Series 1, Episode 1, and you're sick of the sound of my voice trotting out the same old shit. Then prepare for some new old shit um, at the end of this episode. And we may put in the unedited uh, highlights of the three of us trying to get through, simply reading an email address, a Twitter handle, and the link to People Planet Bank, just so you can see. Sometimes I think you might listen to this podcast and think, God, oh, those guys know what they're doing. Well, brace yourselves. 'Cause we haven't yeah. got a fucking clue.
0: It's nothing like teasing the outro right at the beginning. <laughs> just to really <laughs> encourage people to
1: dive into the content in between. Stay tuned for the end. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it does feel like that though, doesn't
2: it? I know, yeah, God, it does feel like that at the moment, doesn't it? The whole planet falling apart.
1: Yeah, it's a bleak old time, isn't it? <laughs> he said cheerily. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had, and and it's sort of become a uh, recurring theme, I guess, of our emails. We can go straight into one, if you like, from Kate in Dorset, who says... Well, gents, very glad to have you back. I've been listening since the start, which is longer than I thought. (laughs) It just feels that way. My children are now effing and jeffing as much as you, and I no longer need to save the pod for dog walks. Since you launched, I've changed tack in my work. When I'm not doing paid welfare work, I'm volunteering with local community groups, and I'm also doing a socioeconomics degree to help me understand, at a macro level, why my clients are so fucked at a local level. (laughs) I imagine... Imagine getting out there trying to understand and doing something to help might alleviate the sense that I'm screaming into the void, and it does a bit, doesn't it? In the last week, I've listened to a neighbour complain about the cost of solar panels after having leveraged against their existing house to turn a local home into a holiday let, while simultaneously another neighbour's adult child can't afford to move in with their partner due to a local housing deficit. Then my husband returned from a night at the pub listening to a friend complain that he's going to have to work forever because the Arga guzzles oil. If educated people can't or won't see the shit they're liberally spreading over their communities because they insist on behaving like toddlers who've never been told no, what hope is there? For you, me, my kids, their fucking kids. I try really hard to do the job in front of me and celebrate the little wins, but at times I feel like a leaf in an unseasonal hurricane. How do you hold your shit together? Kate endorsed it. And I'd say we get one of these a week from someone whose broad point is... What is the fucking point of all of this? But then that is the point, isn't it? If nobody felt that way, we wouldn't need to have these conversations. Yeah, the way is the way. Yes, the crap is a path. <laughs> <laughs> <What> is, the- <laughs> is that <laughs> what we're doing? Just putting cra- wellies on and wading through shit. <laughs> the crap
0: is a path to the, to to to, yeah, to journey.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know. Follow the brown brick road. Is that what yeah. we're doing? I think. Uh, I think she should start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, Kate's podcast. Yeah, she can swear she's getting involved. I
0: think, I think there's always, I think we've said it before, but there's always, there's always that kind of like s- creeping sense somewhere where, where if you had to look, you can find that trepidation about uh, a looming apocalypse. I think sometimes I go back to Cormac McCarthy's The Road, you know, which is about the bleakest book I've ever read. But there's something it's about- It's the second bleakest book I've ever read. What is the bleakest book you've read? Only Planet by Ed Gillespie. Yeah. <laughs> that is not a bleak book. That is an uplifting book, I'll have you know. Anyway, I wrote it a long time ago before I really realised how fucked everything was.
1: (laughs) Are you saying you regret the optimism? (laughs) I don't regret
0: regret the optimism. I regret my own youthful naivety um, (laughs) now that I'm a wizened old curmudgeon. But yeah, the point I was making about Cormac McCarthy is like, just there's a motif in there about carrying the fire and like wherever you are and wherever maddening your neighbours or your people in your community or those who own oil guzzling argos, are you know in some ways you've got to carry the fire because they might not be able to afford to warm you up with their argot.
2: Mm. i mean what i would say is you just carry on doing what you're doing and then then you have those days where it's like oh it's all right Something's, something's shifted, something's something's moved. So I've been finding this in the whole sort of carbon removals stuff. You just think about the scale of the challenge we've got to pull down all that carbon. You think, oh God, sometimes, is it, is it worth it? You know, are we ever going to get there? And then suddenly you find something you go, oh, actually, we might pull this off and we wouldn't have got there if we hadn't trudged through all the other stuff. So I think you have to you have to just chudge through the, the crappy stuff. And, and it's because you've done that, that when you get to the really revelatory moments, you go, oh, that actually worked, or that was really good. You only have got there by going through the other stuff. So the crap is a path, really. You have to kind of understand that every disappointment is just one step nearer to a great victory. Yeah, I think Confucius said that, didn't he? Not quite as... Uh, <laughs> uh, not in quite such a
1: long-winded way. you just know. say the crap is a path. Yes. It's, it's, it's like a Zen koan. So you followed the path to Bristol this week, I believe. The two of you were at the Blue Earth Summit. Yes. Yes, we were. A gathering of the sustainability clans you've described it as. (laughs) Well, it was like a big sustainability
0: wedding. I mean, there were like hundreds of people there. It was very much a tribal meeting, you know. It was like you weren't going to find the unconverted there. No, It was very much people who were... Very committed and very dedicated to um, all of the kind of agendas that we try and promote. Does that mean you didn't get to be rude to anyone? Oh, no, we were rude to everyone. Oh, in a friendly way. We did a kind of, Mark and I did things together and apart. I did a slow travel panel. Talking about, you know, the joys of train cations uh, and and just slower travel generally, perhaps more local travel. I mean,
1: if there's one thing this country excels at at the moment, it's slow fucking travel, whether you want it or not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We made that joke. It's like saying, you know, now that our supposed high speed two rail system (laughs) will will actually be slower getting to Manchester yeah. than the existing West Coast mainline. I
1: mean, that's got to be a global first. They should rebrand it LS2 <laughs> as a sort of environmental <laughs> yeah. policy.
0: Exactly. Low speed too. You know, the journey is the reward.
2: <laughs> yeah. It should never have been called high speed in the first place because the whole point of it was to increase capacity as yeah. much as speed. You know, they so said the more capacity we have on the rails, the easier it is to get you know low carbon and stuff going. So, so it should never have been called high speed in the first place. It should have been called extra line
1: one Big train. I'd have got behind it if they just called it Big, big Train. train. <laughs> We're building a big train and it goes all the way to Birmingham.
0: Yeah. yeah. And Mark and I did our um, infamous sustainability game show that we haven't done for a few years. We resurrected that from the last time we did it at the Hay And Festival. that's called? Uh, I'm a sustainability expert. Get me out of here.
2: Yeah. And then I did a talk talk on the eight principles of successful optimism, which uh, people seem to like. But what was really good about it was everywhere you turned, there was a Future podcast listener going, oh, I listen to
1: your podcast. I love your podcast. It's great. What's that John Richardson like? Oh, yeah. What is he like? I'd like to know that.
0: Well, I did want to stand on stage when we were doing the game show and get the whole audience to shout "Where the fuck is John?" <laughs> uh, and, and record it for you, but we were having like huge technical challenges at the start of the game show, so uh, it didn't quite feel like the appropriate moment.
2: Mm. No, it was very nice, though. It was very nice, and those sort of moments give you hope. Back to Kate's point, you know, sometimes you feel you're all by yourself, and sometimes you just get in a room with a bunch of people who were sort of, you know on the same wavelength and it gives you a bit of a shot in the
0: arm well, especially when you realize like how good these people are i think you know i attended a few other events and just listening to other speakers and and hearing about projects and initiatives that people are working on you know all of that is galvanizing and inspiring so it was it was a lovely event which was very much about the sort of triumph of possibility um, mm. that we always talk
2: about in terms of stretching the imagination and so to go back to Kate's point, actually, it, you know, that thing I often say that Kate Rayworth taught us is never, never push a closed door. You can spend an awful lot of time mm. putting yourself up about the person who's never going to move or never going to change or whatever, or you can go where the energy is. And if you go there, it multiplies and then it infects those people eventually. So um, was it HBS Haldane's four stages to an idea was something like, uh, this isn't even an idea. Doesn't, it's not even a thing. And stage two is, well, it is an idea, but it's very perverse. And the third stage is, well, okay, It is an idea, but it's not important. And the fourth stage is, well, I always thought it was a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the flip. So you just have to, you know, some people are
1: going to be stuck at one and two and three for a while. You know, go where four is. And in terms of optimism and and living the life you want to live, a couple of things to celebrate, uh, one for each of you. Ed, you are about to take a traincation.
0: Yeah, I'm about to, to put my money where my mouth is yet again. I know we've all been doing it this year, but at half past ten this morning, I'm going to hop in a taxi with my daughter to go to Norwich Station and begin a grand journey across Europe to Bucharest in Romania, where I'm speaking at a big climate change summit there. So, uh, yeah, I've got a two-night sleeper train uh, oddity about to unfold, and I'm really
1: excited about it. Good. It's good to be excited about these things, isn't it? Yeah. The journey is the trip. It's very tautologist. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> no. I went to <laughs> say the, the journey is the, I want to say the, the journey is the holiday, and then I thought, well, it's yeah. not a holiday, it's work. And then I just ended yeah. up saying the train is a train. Yeah. <laughs> that really is very Zen. and co the confusion.
2: The yeah, the, the, the <laughs> <laughs> confusion. You're confused about Confucius. I'm confused about Confucius. Yes. The Confucian uh wit of John Richardson. Uh oh, my shoe is also a shoe.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, from Bucharest to Prague Where the people of Prague were treated to Or are about to be treated to Are about to be treated To The
2: international premiere of
1: the play I wrote with the
2: lovely Jack Milner Which is doing its Czech premiere in a couple of weeks So I'm I'm going over there for, for press night and, and first night to a sold out theatre I'll have you know incredible so why is why do you think the czechs have leapt at this literary masterpiece well because it's brilliant and they're very wise and discerning people that's why they're going to get you up on stage to to (laughs) say something i doubt it i doubt it Uh, the actual reason is that there is a i think a famous comedy actress
1: in czech no that's not true that's the one in greece ignore that scratch that (laughs) <laughs> so there is no famous comedy actress in the Czech Republic. Just so, so
2: so what often happens with these things is a a, a, a a name, a famous person or actor or comedy actor reads it and if they like it then you know, once you've got somebody attached, then theatres are much more likely to, to put it on. It's a bit like this podcast, you know, once we've managed to, you know, con you John. People agreed to do it. I
0: also think the the title of your play is now probably one of the most offensive dishes that you could probably put in front of someone. You know, yeah, given you know, the my octopus teacher and all of the celebration of the intelligence of octopi. Yeah, uh, you know to call a play octopus soup. I mean, you didn't know this at the time, but we did. I mean, we, did, did we did. We did. We uh,
2: did. The whole d- point about the octopus is it is intelligent and it plays a vital part in the play, and it is its intelligence that it is one of the comedic devices within it. And you think it gets eaten, but it does not. Ah. Uh, so there.
0: I can't, I can't remember. I only came to a read-through. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, we improved it since then.
1: <laughs> As a result of Ed's read-through?
2: No, he was He was just in the audience. I mean, I know that Ed believes that him just sitting in a room makes everything better.
0: But... <laughs> <laughs> I think you're projecting, darling.
2: Yeah. All right, darling. Shall we get back to the post Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yes, where would you like to hear from? We've got international people. I mean, we've got uh, a lot of questions. There's a lot of swearing. I'm going to start with the person who has addressed us properly, as we discussed. There's no uh, sirs or anything like that coming in. There's there's not a lot of respect knocking about for me in general, really. But this one says, the Future Nought Collective. (laughs) That makes us sound like a commune. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or a prog band. Well, does the commune have solar panels? That is the question from Ollie. On to my burning question, pun intended. I've been toying with the idea of the wonderful films that claim to block heat from entering our buildings, reflecting pesky solar red back into the ether. Imagine a world where our buildings don shades, not just to look cool, but to stay cool. On paper, they seem like the eco-friendly superhero we've been waiting for, but what in practice? What's your take? Are solar films our architectural aviators, or are they just window dressing? Will they become the standard in sustainable building, or are they a passing trend and for a fun twist? If they are the future, how would you imagine them evolving? Colour-changing facades, solar film art installations, the possibilities are bright. Looking forward to your illuminating insights. I mean, this is a man who likes a pun with warm, but hopefully cooler solar film regards, Ollie. I mean, that's the most puns we've ever had in an email.
0: Does Ollie work for the Solar Film Marketing Board? Do you think? (laughs) There's something sort of faintly niche and obsessive about this. I mean, it's interesting. The solar films, I'm assuming he's not talking about the thin film photovoltaics. He's just talking about the stuff that cuts the sunlight out rather than making energy from it. I
2: know, I think he is talking about uh, uh,
0: thin... He hasn't mentioned energy generation. But anyway, let's assume, because I think if he's just talking about the...
2: No, I think it's quite quite problematic. We've read out his letter and we've already discussed that we
1: don't actually know what he's at. Actually, asking. I think that. he got so distracted with puns about heating and light that. Yes.
0: Um, yeah, well, no, I think he's talk- talking about shading. I don't think he's talking about
1: PV. The films that claim to block heat from entering our buildings, yeah. reflecting solar red back into the ether.
0: He's not mentioned a single joule of energy. Yeah, okay. Let's assume he's talking about the interesting stuff, which is obviously the stuff which is PV generated. Hmm. What do we think? Well, I think it's interesting for two reasons. One is I think one of the big problems with the existing silicon-based PV is that it's very heavy and you have to encase it in glass. It's very fragile, which also means that when you're trying to drag it down a a dirt track in rural India, um, you can crack it very easily and damage it. Whereas I think what these new... PV solar films can do, and they can actually adhere them to all sorts of fabrics now and other flexible substrates. And also they're much lighter, Mm -hmm. so you can put them on buildings which don't necessarily have huge structural integrity. The downside is they're never going to be as powerful as the silicon-based crystalline ones but the, obviously they're much more adaptable and you can deploy them much more widely and, and potentially
2: much more cheaply. Their embedded carbon footprint themselves is a lot smaller. because you're Exactly, yeah. The <laughs> temperature of whatever is 20,000 degrees to make them. So they're not going to have the ability to generate as much power, but they can be used quite ubiquitously yeah. and replaced quite easily and I think recycled more easily as well.
0: I mean, you could even have, because they talk about having, you can have them on your clothing, you could put them on the sails of a boat, you can put them on the tops of tents, You know, in in refugee camps and those kind of things. So any places where you could actually have, you know, a a use for low level generation and application uh, is is quite interesting. I used
2: to have one, actually. When I was writing my first book, I went to see one of the very early manufacturers of these solar films. And they gave me a bag with a solar film on the side of it, which is supposed to charge your phone while you were wandering around. Um, But it never really worked and the company went bust. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but again that was how many years ago was that i mean your first book i mean that's like a decade ago isn't it yeah over a decade ago so exactly i, th-
2: I think it might have moved on a bit oh yeah no things have moved on a bit but you know but that, that so that's have been you around for, for for a long time so um you know uh,
0: yeah you're at the pinnacle of your career right now so you know you've moved on a lot in the last 10 years this just the
2: pinnacle of my <laughs> career how do you carry on
0: i know it's when we saw that illuminated billboard with our faces on it in the underpass of Bristol Temple Mead station and I yes. thought that's it, isn't it? That's that's the peak.
2: It's yeah. all gonna be down yeah hill. Thing is when I got the train the next morning after we'd done the show, they were still showing <laughs> it. So I was thinking <laughs> like- That's interesting. The past (laughs) noughts.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Mark and I were just saying, John, we're going to have an old man podcast, you know, when we're really old, where we basically look back on history and say, this is how fucked it was. This is why it was that fucked. and This is (laughs) why we failed to unfuck it.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, we could do that now.
0: (laughs) It's It's our dotage podcast.
1: Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mick Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange-traded funds with Global X ETFs. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! You link beautifully into an email from Martin, who, uh, having discussed Mark's book and uh, had a slight dig at uh, Ed's book, Martin says, I nearly emailed you some months ago after reading Only Planet, which blew my socks off. Wait. There you go. After reading the bit about bluefin tuna and having a bit of a resigned, we're completely fucked cry, that's Aww. nice, isn't it? It's nice to know you're making people cry.
0: I know, but only in that kind of solastalgia of the, uh, the kind of sadness that comes with a, a sense of not being able to find the home that's ebbing away from us.
1: Yes. Um, he says, I came up with an idea, so this is off the back of your book, for a shadow cop summit that overlapped cop and invited many of the speakers but excluded fossil fuel groups. The intention was that it would be run by citizens and I came up with the name Organization of Fed Up Citizens or OFOC. <laughs> the output was intended to be practical steps people could take to decrease climate impact and influence their elected representatives. It would also encourage engagement with green businesses by offering some form of certification to businesses meeting a standard. This would in turn encourage businesses to become greener to achieve certification and attract the business of an ever-increasing segment of the population that cares about the climate crisis. Unfortunately, my ADHD kicked in and I never saw the idea come to anything, so I'm <laughs> sharing it with you to get your thoughts. Do you think it has any legs, any- if you think it does, do you have any suggestions or ideas for how I could get it off the ground and who I could speak with? I've attached a document with my latest thinking on it. I was discouraged from the slightly risque name by some friends, but I'm yet to fall in love with 4C. Thanks for the podcast. Between you and the Fully Charged Show, I am finding some reason to hold out some hope that we aren't completely fucked. Martin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think the kind of, version of, of Oh Fuck sort of exists in the form of citizens' assemblies, you know, that we've touched on briefly before. And the problem that citizens' assemblies currently face is that they're politically marginalised. So they're not being given the legal and regulatory mandates that would actually change something substantive. So, you know, the famous example of the abortion work in Ireland um, actually gave some legal clout and some regulatory clout that would compel the politicians to listen to the outcome of the assembly. Now... There is a lot of pushback in the Citizens Assembly movement now to say, that's what needs to change. Because what we always demonstrate when we have a group, which is a demographic representation uh, of the, popula- the wider population, selected potentially through sortition or similar, is that they tend to come up with much more radical and ambitious responses and solutions than would have been generated otherwise. So there's something really potent about the wisdom of the crowd uh, mm-hmm. in this type of context. Uh, and so, yeah, oh fuck, it is actually there. Uh, but we just need to listen to them and mandate them properly.
2: Mm. So I would say, I saw this tweet from Ben Goldsmith, who was at the Blue Earth Summit, He was a um, Tory uh, sort of green guy. And... Um he said something along the lines, quoted somebody saying something along the lines of, you know, in order for us to sort of beat the climate crisis, we need not just really a scientific awakening, but kind of a cultural and a, and a mm-hmm. governance awakening, a kind of a radical rethink of how society is, to which I agree. But I responded to him going, oh, that's great. So why has successive Tory governments shown absolutely no interest in changing the way we're governed and holding on to a system that, you know, won't allow us to do that shift? The thing I would also say to Martin is um, get down your local people planet point and find some other people who might think that's a good idea and go start doing it. Mm. I couldn't agree
1: more. We haven't done it yet, though, have we? I haven't done it. I need to get to one.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: you've got us. Yeah, but we're, we're not drinking, are we? We record these in the morning, and even I think 9am is too early. You can't come straight, <laughs> straight back off the school run and pull a pint for the planet, can you? As much as I care about the planet, even I think, exactly. I can't be turning up pissed to pick up and just say, I still love the fucking planet, man. If you cared uh-huh. about the planet as much as me, you'd be as pissed as I am.
2: <laughs> exactly being funny at 9am on tap well you know as uh, I think I mentioned on last week's podcast we've launched what's the first carbon negative beer which small beer have launched what's it called what, what I loved about them is rather than invent a new beer and say oh well let's you know make that carbon negative they've, they've taken their best selling beer and made that carbon negative. So, they're, they're, so it's their pale ale. And um, they're folding it into the business model of everything they do, which is, oh. which is the right way to go about it rather than having, oh, here's our green product. It's like, no. yeah, like our best-selling product. Let's make that better and then use that to infect the rest of the business. It's another reason I like yeah. those guys. Yeah, they're amazing. So, So, you know, on that basis, you should be drinking it You know, all times for breakfast, you know,
1: I I have to drink this beer, darling. Who's going to think of the children if I don't? I mean, if ever there was a case of pushing at an open door, it's trying to get (laughs) me to have a pint. So congratulations. (laughs) You've met zero resistance. Uh, You mentioned the government there brings us to an email from Juliet from Suffolk. And this is a very exciting start to an email. No addressing at the beginning. Straight in. I know this sounds like the most tedious question ever. Whoa. Whoa. i'll tell you what there's a debate we could have if you've, got a, <laughs> if you've got a more tedious question than this one then stay tuned at the end to find out how you can send it in i can tell you what my most tedious question is is like
2: mm-hmm. why should i bother doing it about climate when people in china and india aren't doing anything that one that's the most fucking tedious question i get asked all the time
1: yeah do you want to answer it categorically now or do you just tell them to fuck off uh no i don't I answer it categorically you know but um, I, went, I did it. I've done it several times on the. podcast. We have done we it, it several go, times. Yeah. I so, mm-hmm. sometimes wonder at which. I tell you what, it's interesting. For you get the impression from the emails, and we'll get to one shortly, is that people who discover this podcast do go back and listen to everything from the beginning, which mm-hmm. I do not do. If I find a new podcast, quite delighted to find out I've missed most of it. I'll just join in there. But kudos to the people <laughs> who are um, going through from the beginning. But let's—you can't tease a tedious question then not ask it. So Juliet says. I don't think it is a tedious question. What is the point of a public inquiry? Is it A, to waste millions of public money, B, to shut up people who are outraged already by something, often rightfully, C, to give the press something to talk about in a feeding frenzy, D, to take years to reach a conclusion, E, to enable overpaid lawyers to compete to be the most pompous person in the room, or F, to find something for retired judges to do who actually just want to be retired? Usually the answer is clear from the start. The directors of the company were useless. This means the people who the decision makers. At the top of the organization, not the management, who are there only to do what the board of directors have told them to do. Why is none of this tackled by bringing criminal cases against directors in court? Juliet from Suffolk. Not tedious. I'll show you tedious. I've got five tour dates left. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe
2: you could take this question as your starting sort of gambit.
1: Yeah, start of the next tour. Yeah. Yeah. What is the point of a public inquiry? <laughs> yeah. Well, I could do a public inquiry live. It's a good idea for a tour, that. I think she sort of touched, not the purpose of it, but she sort of hinted at what I think often the point is, is just to say, will you fucking shut up about this for six months while you just imagine that we're dealing with it on a higher level?
0: I would say it's a combination of B and D. You know, you see it with the duration of things around the COVID inquiry. No one wants the COVID inquiry to actually deliver results, certainly not before an election. Mm. And so it is a way of sort of pushing things into the long grass a little and to a kind of... Than to take the heat out of some righteous anger. Um, and I think you can also see that happening in things like Grenfell as well, you know, where it's unlikely you're going to get the kind of criminal accountability that people would really expect to see, but instead you'll have a long drawn out thing, which will then come to conclusions, which might lead to some regulatory changes further down the line. But it is also about glossing over some of that that pain and anger and hurt that people justifiably feel.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, at, at their best, they can lead to changes in the law, but they take so long to put together. They cost so much money. And, you know, by the time the conclusions have come out, the damage has been done to, to a certain extent. You know, like if you're looking at the stuff that's happening in the COVID inquiry, and I, I'm part of some of this stuff as well, that's going to come down the line is like the fucking levels of absolute rank incompetence at very senior levels of government, you know, and, and uh, almost are not, not caring of it. You know, this, this is all going to be exposed we've moved on, we're bored now, you know. So so it's kind of, yeah. yes, everybody will be outraged, but we're outraged, you know, uh, 10 years too late was what will happen.
0: And usually it then takes someone to get the bit between their teeth. I mean, I don't know if you remember, you know, way back in the day, like the Arms to Iraq inquiry, and it was only like the late Robin Cook, who had the sort of the forensic ability to actually pick out the devastating elements. Because I think what also happens to this public inquiry is the wording is often a little bit mealy mouthed, which avoids the accountability. So it requires, you know, a politician or an activist to be able to interpret that and re- resharpen it again after the establishment has taken the edge off it.
2: Yeah. I mean, let's be very clear about COVID. The British Medical Journal you know, a couple of years ago, basically wrote a very stinging editorial where they said, "They you know government's response to, to COVID, including our own, would be defined as social murder." You know, they, there's your answer. There's your doctors basically going, "These people were so fucking incompetent, and our systems of governance are so ridiculous, um, and they cared so little about even you know doing it properly." That they basically went and murdered people. If you look at the death rate in Taiwan compared to the death rate in the UK, we've had a, a, an unnecessary 175,000 deaths from COVID. That there's that, basically people who were murdered by a government incompetence.
0: Yeah, what are the BMA now, Hey, but BMJ, BMJ, not the BMA.
2: BMJ, yeah, okay, what the BMA, British Medical Association. Oh, what's the BMJ then? The British Medical Journal. There you go. It's the Journal that's of the same thing then. It's the BMJ. Yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> What do I know?
1: We should have a public inquiry about this but how I don't know this thing. <laughs> So to to Juliet's question then, do you hold out any faith that this public inquiry will end with what what it seems like you say we could have decided 2 years ago was that the people that are responsible that have, you know, made these mistakes should face some sort of punishment?
0: Well, I don't think it's always about retribution, but it is about, you know, learning the bloody hard lessons. I mean, sure, actually, if people have made those appalling decisions and it does come down to incompetence, they should be held accountable. But at the same time, it is really about how the hell do you stop this happening in such a disastrous way next time? Mm. And hopefully there will be some insight there. As Mark said, it's like people know what went wrong. But now we have to have, you know, the due judicial process to actually have that validated and vindicated by all involved. And obviously, if you're being pursued for your own accountability, you don't want to see that happen. So you're going to attempt to try and take the edge and dilute it as much as possible. Whereas you know, other people are trying to make sure that people are held
2: to the fullest account. Yeah, but let's also be very clear. Scientists are telling governments and this one in particular, that you know the increasing loss of biodiversity is leading to an increased level of zoonotic viruses crossing over. They're increasing in frequency. We are overdue a pandemic. You need to be prepared for this. It's going to happen in the next five to ten years. And they didn't do anything about it. I remember a very insightful uh, TV a uh, program called uh, Ultimate Warrior with a man called John Richardson on it, oh, yeah. uh, where actually the whole section about the imminent flu pandemic that was coming. And we did that in just September 2019. You know, so without wishing to diss you in any way, John, when primetime comedians have got a better grasp on, you know, uh, health policy than, you know, the, the
1: Department for Health, um, you're in trouble. I mean, I, I will absolutely take primetime. Some people might. <laughs>
0: That's Mark metaphorically showering you in glitter.
1: Yeah, it was lovely that I was. I'll be honest, I sort of tuned out when you said it was more about um, taking into account people who've behaved in an incompetent manner. That's when I thought, oh, fuck, I'm out of my depth here. I'm <laughs> going to be in a podcast endorsing, chasing people who are incompetent. That's how yeah. I've had my bloody career. Yeah. <laughs> so an email from Ben and Ben is one of the people I mentioned who says, I've been dipping in and out of the podcast but now my wife has started training for a new job as a transport officer I'm at home with the kids, I'm wandering around the house, cleaning, ironing and cooking and as I'm pottering around, I'm listening to two episodes a day of the podcast oh my um, god! so he's, he's doing a proper cut, I'd, I don't I could do half an episode a day I think it's quite intense at times isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well I mean I'm not sure how long his marriage is going to last. <laughs> <laughs> Presuming he reaches the end. I mean, he might drift off at some point, in which case Ben will never hear his uh, email read. But he has some questions on a sort of number of questions. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's, it's an email that sounds like it's been written. Someone who is pottering around the house, wondering about... It's a a big old long paragraph. He's a builder from South Wales, wants to hear about your views on new buildings standing the test of time. Um, I was in a... (laughs) (laughs) Not to, you know, dictate the debate, but I was in Cardiff last night on tour where I usually play the St. David's Hall, which is... uh, by uh, comparative standards a new building compared to the new theatre which I was in which was built a long time ago and I played the new theatre because the more newly built St. David's Hall is closed because of rack concrete Hmm. and it's unlikely (laughs) to reopen because the cost of replacing the roof is going to be about £30 million So I guess South Wales has its own things to say about whether new buildings will stand the test of time or not. He also asked about the social housing system and whether we'll ever generate one, which gives people in social housing the ability and the chance to save up for their own houses again, potentially. And then there's a rather leading question. This <laughs> is... P.S. The 20 mile an hour limit has just come into action last week. What are your thoughts? Mine are that they're a bunch of fucking idiots. (laughs) I haven't got a clue what's going on in the country and supposedly it's cost 35 million. I've never been so confused driving around my town, jumping between all the various speed limits. I'd love to know your opinions. If there is a benefit, I understand outside schools and hospitals. Overall, it will benefit the carbon emissions. If overall journeys, it takes an extra 15 to 20 minutes, which means the engines are running longer, but obviously at lower revs. (laughs) <laughs> <What>? <laughs> it's like he sent the email and gone oh i forgot the thing i'm really angry about <laughs> <laughs> so you can talk about social housing or you can just wind ben up by saying i think the 20 mile an hour is brilliant and see if he just explodes in his house
2: yeah <laughs> so to get back to the buildings point i think it's a more general point here which you see in successive governments is they always go well you know who's going to pay for all this so it's, they'll 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 build things cheaply, like schools and hospitals, you know, and they'll fight in it. and it's kind of like, well, you're just going to have to pay for it again in 30 years and it all falls down. And the, the, the language is all wrong. People talk about, oh, who's going to pay for it? How are we going to afford it? It's like, no, it's an investment. And if you invest well and you invest properly, then it will be there forever. So, you know, uh, like, oh, we can't afford to do, have a proper water system because, you know, we've got, we've got to be more efficient. We've got to be more efficient. We've got to pay the shareholder. You know, who's going to pay for it? It's like, well, we're all going to pay for it anyway in the end when it all falls over, you know, so it's just this absolute madness of trying to do everything on the cheap because everybody wants their return too quickly. Yeah, That's the world we've built. It's like, no, let's spend a fucking shitload of money on it and it'll last forever and it, and that, in, in, in the end, will deliver a far more stable and prosperous economy where everybody's better off and can make decent returns because the water system works and the education system works and the electricity system works and the train system works. Imagine that. Imagine a health system. Imagine, imagine a country where you've got a health system that they've spent decent amounts of money on and they've thought about sensibly and where the water infrastructure works and where the education system is fantastic and there's good childcare and all that kind of stuff. Imagine how, uh, how, what competitive advantage that nation would have in the world because have healthier, happier, more productive citizens. You know, it's just the madness of, oh, you know, we, we built it cheap because that's all we could afford. No, because you've just made it twice or three times as expensive, you stupid cunts. You're supposed to be in government. <laughs> Fucking work it out. <laughs>
0: I mean, Mark's right, and also that you know, if you look at something like zero carbon homes bill, which was axed in 2015, which would have made us, you know, be building more resilient, low carbon homes that would be riding out the energy crisis and the cost of living crisis right now in a much more lean and efficient fashion. And we've built 800,000 new homes since 2015, which don't meet that standard now because it, the incoming coalition government axed it. Now. That's a huge problem, as Mark said, because now you've got to retrofit them, you know, and it's going to cost more to go back in and bring those houses back to a kind of deep net zero kind of level. And that's the issue. And I think, you know, to, to Ben's question, I think part of the problem is we know how to build affordable, low-carbon homes. The trouble is, we don't know quite how to do that at scale because our mainstream house builders resist that change. And also, we don't use the innovations that we have up our sleeves. So you can build straw bale houses or hempcrete homes. We can use the diversification of materials. You know, you can actually build them with a much lower embodied carbon footprint and lower running costs. But those things are unconventional. You know, they're not necessarily in the orthodoxy so again, it can be done, but it requires more imagination.
2: And, uh, you know, back to the famous quote we use all the time, it's difficult to get somebody to understand something when their salary depends upon them not understanding it. There's a whole bunch of people whose businesses and margins and salaries and whatever are paid by the existing system. So coming along and innovating and doing it different is something they generally find very threatening. It's um, different that's scales, it, isn't it? Yeah. It's but like if you you're
0: cool. used to putting a brick on a brick and someone says, no, actually we're going to build them out of straw bales, that's quite a lot of retraining.
2: Mm-hmm. But, you know... That's why we exist, isn't it? You know, th- this, is, this is good news because if the world was fixed, we wouldn't have a podcast.
1: <laughs> we would. It'd be about something else. It'd be about cake recipes or something. We'd be doing like a bake-off spin-off.
0: The 20 mile an hour limit thing, I was seeing uh, a Facebook post from our village parish council this morning which was talking about they had the kind of the distribution we don't have a speed camera as such but we have a camera that monitors the speed of everyone through the village which obviously has you know 20 mile an hour limit all the way through the center someone got clocked at 65 miles an hour wow in a 20 it was only one car but i mean you know that's insane And I think, John, you said it, isn't it? It's like Ben says it takes an extra 15 to 20 minutes longer. I think on the average car journey, going at 20 miles an hour rather than 30 takes an extra minute, which if that halves the risk of killing a
2: child in a potential impact, I think that's a a price worth paying. I mean, again, this is the whole thing that we've got to get somewhere faster. And the whole world is based around like, oh, I need to get there quickly. And, you know... It's the point we often make about travel. Yes, you have a right to travel and you have a right to get to, where you, but, you, but that doesn't give you the automatic right to do it as quickly as you want, whenever you want, without worrying about the cost of the environment or whatever. Every right you have is also a responsibility. And uh, I think too often people go, well, it's my right to do this and it's got to do that and blah, blah. And you go, well, there's also a responsibility. Because I don't want to think about that because it's my right. You know, Well, we all have to, do I'm afraid. I mean, the whole world is falling apart because of an attitude that says you as an individual can have what the hell you like. And we've got this massive tragedy of the commons, and we see that politically, we see that uh, economically, and we see it environmentally. And this is why the next 30 years are going to be this massive transition. We're going to have more war, we're going to have more climate change, we're going to have more governments collapsing. We're going to have collapses of markets and wealth because the whole system is broken and we've got to rebuild it. Um, So hopefully we've got plenty more series of the podcast to go. That's what I'm saying. That's the optimistic side of it.
1: Is that an optimistic thing? I was going to say
2: that sounds quite self serving.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, see, I was
2: ironic. You see, what I was doing there was ref- making it, <laughs> it, it was kind of a meta joke, you see. Oh, oh why don't that- I wasting my time with you two?
0: I I think I need another coffee.
1: Well, uh, it's an optimism of sorts that you get to waste at least the next five or six years of your life. I'll tell you what is good news is that you're alive at all because as we left it on the last podcast, you were, I don't know how you worded it, but it came across you were about to be kidnapped by Blofeld and his family with a laser pointing at your genitals as you told them how they should (laughs) probably divert the funds that they amassed over their lifetimes. How did it go with the richest families on the planet? Uh, It was quite interesting.
2: So the the families themselves weren't there, but the people who managed their money were. So they they had these things called family offices, which is basically their investments. It's already pissed me off. And the CEOs of the family offices were there. And it was a kind of sort of a a conference of the 50 of the wealthiest in the world. And um, I was asked to sort of close it. And it was in in this room with no windows, you know, in this very exclusive resort. And um, yeah, I went out and said, look, you know, it's, it's all your fault you invested all your money badly and you better turn your investments around to, to, to fix it because that's the only game in town. Otherwise, all the investments you have already going to be worth nothing anyway. So I tried to phrase it in a way that they uh, would understand. It's quite interesting because you can see them going like, well, he's right, but who let him in? <laughs> Why is he here? Why is he talking to us? That's not what we expected. This is not what we've paid for. He's telling us the truth. But yeah, as a result of that, I have a couple of billionaires on um, in my inbox, who want to talk? And as I said, I you know, I, I push it open door, so I found the ones that I want. But interestingly, one of the richest families in the world, who I can't mention because I'm under a slight non-disclosure agreement, they're trying to change their fortune away from existing investments all towards sort of climate investments. And the mm-hmm. guy in the family who's who's um, sort of. Pioneering that said, actually, the rest of the family started paying attention when they realised that all the investments that were sort of angled towards climate and climate action and solving climate change problems were actually returning more as an investment than the others. Because
0: ah, so ven- venality will save us. Well, and
2: it's <laughs> interesting because you know we need those problems need solving. Whether we like it or not, at the end of the day, punch mm. a hole in the side of the spaceship. The people who are fixing the spaceship are going to get the contract.
0: I them. know, but it's always about. Accepting the fact that you can still make money, but you might make less money—that's the, been the problem, hasn't it? Mm. They're always about maximising. All these family offices have always done that as well. It's like going, "Well, we know we realise that this will mean tens of millions of people get disenfranchised in Central Sub-Saharan Africa,
2: but my God, the returns are fantastic." Yeah, I know. So, 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 yeah, the, the whole the whole thing has to shift.
1: So, how does your policy change in talking to those when you're not talking to the family, but you're talking to the people that manage their money? Are you less frank, or do you try and word things in a way that you think they will then? And take to the families because I, I would be instantly annoyed that they chose to sort of defer dealing with the future of the planet onto sort of a wealth manager anyway.
2: Mm. No, I'm, I'm 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 fairly robust with all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt that. I think, you know, one of the things i learned when i was a stand up, and i can't remember which which stand up told me this as i was doing my apprenticeship was like, you know, a, a good comic says what they want to say, a great comic says what the audience wants to hear, but a truly amazing comic says what they want to say in the way the audience wants to hear it. And so what you do is mm. you, you take the, the the truth about climate change or social justice in there, but you think, if I just shout at them in the way that I would speak about it, I'm not going to get any of them to listen. So you sometimes have to couch in the words of investment, going, well, look over here. You see this you know, company that's doing amazing stuff about you know rejuvenating the planet is actually making good returns, and that piques their interest, and then you can get in there. The other thing that happens in these families, of course, is they have these succession events where the younger generation comes to sort of be in charge of the money and getting them at that point is also a really good thing as well because the younger generation actually, uh, and a lot of these families are a lot more enlightened about this stuff and think, well, you know, I've got this lever here. What what can I do with it? So much to make a TV series about that. Indeed. <laughs> uh, you know, as Ed says, we all suck with the devil. Some of us do it with different lengths of spoon. I have met some absolutely enlightened, brilliant fantastic billionaires who have are taking their wealth and are fighting the climate battle as hard as any activist in XR. They're just doing it from a different angle. And I have met billionaires who are horrible and evil. So you just go and work with the ones that are doing the good stuff and make them cooler because all those guys, you know, even at that level, they all want to be the cool kids. So you know, you make the ones that are doing the good stuff sexier, basically.
1: Well, if I can help with any signed cardigans or you know perhaps tickets to a countdown recording, then mm. um, you know I, I, I it's why I'm here is to make the the, the campaign for a better future cool. It's, yes. it's what you guys said to me out of the beginning. We need some, we need someone sexy and cool and young and hip. Yeah. And knitwear. We need more knitwear. Absolutely. Yeah. I say, Mr. Rothschild, I've got an absolutely brilliant idea. Would you like to go and see a
2: small man with a wheezy voice in a cardigan? <laughs> <laughs> in a darkened room. Talk to you about his white goods. <laughs> He's got a smashing, smashing cardigan.
1: It's, it's smashing why cardigan. this podcast is such a constant joy that I think I've said something self-effacing and then actually you managed to say something even worse. <laughs> I know I'm not the cool guy no you're a little man with a weaselly voice who talks about white goods it's an an absolute pleasure to be here every week I rush home from the school run (laughs) I'd love to play with you in the playground for a bit before you go but I've I've just got to rush back to be called a twat (laughs) long may
0: it last you can feel the love John you can feel the love absolutely it's a very British way Mark realised when we were at the Blue Earth Summit uh, how much Tim Smith it liked his
2: company because tim smith was just becoming more and more ferociously rude to mark yes yes ferociously rude to me actually i got back from this mad trip the the other day and i was very tired and i I was lying in bed and then my my beloved came in because she'd been out and she said i found you fast asleep with a glass of wine still in your hand listening to john richardson live stand up Oh, God. And that's what... That's what,
1: So I do love you, see.
0: With a glistening tear just <laughs> yeah, on his right yeah, cheek. Yeah, yeah. Just catching the light like a diamond.
1: Yeah, there you go. A small weasley man who talks about his white goods and will literally send you to sleep with his work. <laughs> <laughs> Did you spill the wine? No, no. See, that's why we get on. Deep down, you talk about whatever you like. We can talk about the future of the planet, but you make friends with people who fall asleep and keep their wine level. <laughs> That is, that's, you can't teach that skill that's just <laughs> built in that is a, an unconscious wrist that knows that when he wakes up I'm going to be what he needs yeah indeed. Um, the wine not your wrist that, that makes it sound like you're going to do something else I know I where is this going, is this going? Um, and before we wrap up I also just want to say that we,
2: we and I personally have had a lot of really lovely feedback on the last episode about ADHD like pe- personally quite a few people have reached out to me and said that was really profoundly brilliant so um, if you do want to talk about that kind of stuff, carry on.
1: Yes, continue those conversations. and if you have uh, if there's a topic you'd like us to talk about, not just a sort of question or an email, but a, a topic that you would like to see explored on a deeper level, this series we have uh, guests ready and uh, standing by and we can always chase people down. So send those suggestions in and brace yourselves. Here's how you do it. Our email address is hello at johnandthefuturenauts.com. What's our Twitter handle, Ed? At J and the F. And if you want to find like-minded people
2: in the real world, why not type in Pint, our official partner for J and the F listeners to get together in pubs, save the planet, and drink beer.
1: There you go. That was great, wasn't it? Just, Just three guys perfectly capable of each saying one thing slickly So that you get the information you need and stay tuned at the very end of the podcast for the unedited version of how hard it was (laughs) to just say a fucking email address, a Twitter handle and a link to a website. We will be back, of course, soon. Thank you for your company. Good luck on your traincation. Thank you. Have a lovely time.
0: You'll be
2: hearing all about it. And good luck with your little final five nights, John. Are you kind of DMOP happy now? Are you kind of like, oh, it's
1: nearly over? Well, depressingly, the final five nights happen to be spread out between now and the end of January. So <laughs> there's a lot of sort of hanging about. I've, I've got other stuff going on. Don't you worry about that. I'm, um, oh, bloody, oh, the doors constantly. I think that's um, the head of ITV downstairs now, just with an idea for a TV series. So don't you worry about me. You're filming series five now of the of Richards,
2: aren't you? Yeah, that's done. Finished that as well. That's amazing. That's, that's, it's five series. You know, it's very few sitcoms get to past, you know, three series, do they? So five is pretty impressive.
1: It is. And uh, now you're, but you're backtracking because I've made you feel guilty about abusing me and I, I'm absolutely back where you are and I can't handle compliments. So let's have an end to that. I was much happier when you were calling me a twat. <laughs> um, so listen, fuck the pair of you. See you later, twat. Fuck everyone. See you soon. Uh, Cunts. Bye. <laughs> All right, then. Do you want to do it? No, you should do it, John. You're the, should I? You're, 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 you're the famous I get mom. tired of the sound of my own voice. Uh, you're going to have to get used to it. You've got
0: about half a century to go, mate. So.
1: Um, what have we got? An email, a Twitter, and people, Planet Pine. What's our email address? <laughs>
0: I think it's the hello, uh, hello at uh,
1: John J and, the, and future- the F. John no, and the, John F- and the Is it? Hang on. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: hello at John and the
1: Hello at John and the And then, Ed, do you want to talk? Do, do you want to do the Twitter feed? Is that at J and the F? Yeah. J and the F. And then, Mark, do you want to mention People Planet Pine? And I'll queue us up and we'll all, we'll yeah. all oh, do right. it. Okay. Black, Black communism. Some egalitarian And I'm not going to say if you'd like to get in touch with us Because I always say that in the intro And then it happens twice Yes Okay You can email with any question And I guarantee you will get 100% an answer Which solves all the problems in your life Probably from <laughs> Mark or Ed It's not really my specialist subject But you can reach us at Hello at john and We're also on social media, aren't we, Ed? Yeah, we're still
0: on Twitter, X whatever Elon Musk is trying to turn okay, this, into this
2: right happen every week. We can't do it. We can't do it this long. <laughs> this
1: happens All right, every I'll week just do it quickly days. then.
2: I'll just do we, it quickly then. And I I, I, we can talk, or, yes. I think it should be just very, very, very sh- simple and yeah. short. But it happens every episode. So let's just All right, talking. shut up then.
1: All right. And <laughs> you
2: know, why do I have oh yeah, to... Jesus.
1: Email. Colon hello at johnandthefuturenotes dot com. Twitter address is <laughs> at J and the F. All right, all right, all right. a bit more. <laughs> Don't we can put this out as a deleted scene. Here's what happens yeah. when we try and do anything remotely competent. <laughs> right, I'm going for it now, and this is it. Whatever happens, hundred percent, no take backs. Okay. Our email address is hello at johnandthefuturenotes. You can find us on social media. The Twitter X Sphere uh, at J and the F, and uh, you can
2: also go to our oh fucking hell, ah! <laughs> uh, wanker. We used, do- <laughs> <laughs> we used to we used to we used to put our own.
1: Things on, didn't we? Oh, I
0: did we as well. as well? Yeah, I don't think we let's not bother with that because I can't be bothered with
1: Twitter anymore anyway. I can't get into my account anyway. Good luck with that. <laughs> all right. Let's oh, start yeah, again. send me some shit because I'll never read it. Okay, let's do it again. You can email hello at johnandhefutureNots.com. Or on the Twitter XSphere
0: at uh, at J and the F.
2: God, that's so so bad isn't it? I'm trying <laughs> to do it
1: all sexy. Come on, let's do it again.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a bit too erotic, John No, 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 John's was good It's, it's just, I, 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 yeah What? You were a bit fumbly A bit fumbly, it's because you have to say at,
1: at J and the F So I just need to say at, at, no uh, Do you want me to say what's our Twitter handle? Yeah Yeah, it's <laughs> yes, okay Our email address is hello at com. What's our Twitter handle, Ed? At J and the F and if
2: you want to find like-minded people in the real world, why not type in People Planet Pint, our official partner for J and the F listeners to get together in pubs, save the planet and drink beer. Fuck you
1: later. <laughs> 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 well, I think wow. we've run out of time now, haven't we?